Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, a comment would be great. And if you're listening to the podcast, a review would be wonderful. Today, my guest is Dr. India White. She's a speaker and education consultant. A math teacher for years, her consultancy's aim is to close the achievement gap in one year by helping teachers and principals develop grit in themselves and students. Really interested to learn more about her journey. Welcome to, to Teach the Geek Interviews, Dr. White. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here. Wonderful. So uh, from the bit of, of research I did on you, I saw that you studied math in school. So what was the motivation to do that? Great question. So as a young adolescent, I was not the best math student. I didn't have a lot of math confidence at all. Uh, and I would I was the type of student that I would study for a math test for three hours just to get a C. And I just, math was like, uh, but I really was into like the arts and things like that. So my senior year of high school, I had a teacher in calculus and he told me, he said, India, you're stupid. You'll never understand calculus and you'll never major in math. Why don't you go do something that you and your people could do? So leaving his office hours, I just felt disturbed in my soul. Like, am I going to allow this to be my fate or am I really good at math? Because I was okay with math, but I wasn't like horrible. So after getting a beat in his calculus class, I um, went to University of Florida. I went from the homeless shelter to a college dorm overnight, full ride scholarship from Bill Gates and And so when I got into my first math class, uh, which I retook calculus, I absolutely loved it. And I was like, okay, so I love that. I took calculus two, ace that. I'm like, okay, I love that. And then I just kept going all the way to the end and I majored in math. And the main reason why was, for one, I thought I wanted to be a stockbroker or an engineer. Um, my mentor had me set up to be an electrical or a mechanical engineer, but I'm gonna be honest, I didn't know physics. I was bad at physics. And so I was like, well, next step is I could just major in math. So I decided to major in math. And after much prayer, I got a confirmation from the almighty that, yes, I needed to major in math. So I wanted to major in math to become a math teacher. Wow. That's that's so crazy. The, the, he really told you, go do something you and your people do? <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> it's okay. We're moving forward in 2024. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Man, uh, uh, that's a that's a horrible. But at least, yeah, you turned well, lemons you know, into lemonade. You know, <laughs> yeah, I recycled it. I recycled it as lemonade, and I'm thankful because now I write math textbooks to you know <laughs> teachers nationwide. So it's great. Yeah, yeah, you go back and, and throw one of them textbooks into that guy's face. <laughs> <laughs> I forgive him. It's okay. You know, I understand. He's you know he was much older, and it was just a different time period then. And you know, when people deal with. Uh, I call it a mental illness of, you know, just judging people by their race and, and you know, by their cultural and their upbringing. I, I call it a mental illness. And I think when people are, and it is diagnosed, diagnosable as a mental illness, when they're dealing with different um, beliefs 
uh, and they limit people, you know, you have to see them with compassion and empathy and you can't take it personal. Yeah. So now yeah. I, I also saw that you got a doctorate in education. What was the motivation to do that? So I was content with my master's degree um, in educational leadership from the University of Florida, go Gators. When, um, as an assistant principal, I started going through so many different transitions. My sister had passed away of breast cancer and it really shook our family. She left behind five little ones, including our youngest niece who was two years old at the time. And then a year later, my father passed away. And then a year later, my mother uh, passed away on September 11, 2016. And I remember it was during that time that I was like, well, I, I want to go back to school, but I'm not sure. I feel like there's more that I can offer. My principal, uh, one of my principals down in Hillsborough County was absolutely amazing. And he would come into my, my room and he'd say, India, there's more to you. There's more to you than just these four walls. There's more to you than just the school building. You need to be out there leading. Like you need to do more. He, he couldn't put his finger on it, but he would always say, there's more to you. And I love him for that. And so I decided to believe him. I decided to take a risk. And I remember talking with my mom and she was on her deathbed. She couldn't walk anymore. She was passing away from pancreatic cancer. And I, you know, we had some healing moments because, you know, our relationship wasn't always rocky and I had to forgive her and, you know, I had to let go of bitterness and things like that. And so I remember talking with her in that last conversation and I said, mom, I said, you know, is there anything you want from me? Like, what else can I do as a daughter to please you? And she, she looked at me and she said, baby, promise me you're going to get that doctorate. Promise me you're going to get it. And I'm like, oh my Lord. <laughs> uh, I said, okay, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And uh, I said, is there anything else you want from me? She said, no, that was it. She was like, it was almost like, she's like, you did everything you needed to do as a daughter. And now I need you to finish this. And I remember, you know, after she passed away, I just made a vow. I'm going to get this and I'm going to give God the glory and I'm going to give her you know, the honor and in, in, in honor. And so um, I remembered half, like, so when you're writing a doctorate, you, you have to finish your first three chapters and then do what they call like the calls, pass the calls. And I remembered I, I passed the calls and my first three chapters at the time was only 92 pages. And I remembered after I got the pass to keep going and that your study's legit, you, you're going to be legit, keep going. I just bawled my eyes out. And I remembered spreading myself across my bed and I'm a single parent. So my kids are looking at me like, mom, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> but I just remembered falling. And I said, ma, I'm there. I'm getting there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I remembered afterwards, you know, um, you know, a couple of months later, when I finally defended my dissertation on April 8th, 2020, it was during COVID. And I was the first zoomed in um, dissertation defense that University of Florida had had in the Department of Education that year because we were all trying new, right? Electronics was was not really the big thing when it came down to dissertations. And so I remembered, you know, after I defended and my kids are there in the corner, like, <laughs> um, and after they said, you know, you passed, you know, congrats to Dr. White, I just fell apart. I just bawled in tears of joy. I thank the Lord Jesus because he's my savior. And I just remembered giving God glory and be like, oh my God, I did it. And then of course you have to edit it and everything. And then after it came to me and then I finally received my own copy, uh, it was just a full circle. And the funny part is I received the full copy on September 10th. 
like I, I received my my doctorate, my degree in hands on September 10th. And it was literally like the next day was a year anniversary of my mom's death, September 11th. And I remember it, it was like God just put that whole thing together. Like you did it and you did it in time and you did it, you know, just in time to celebrate a year uh, anniversary of my mom. So it was, it was beautiful. So that's why I went, went to my doctorate was for my mom. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's a, that's a wonderful story. Congratulations on, on, on earning that doctorate. I know getting them is getting a doctorate is no easy feat. So kudos to you. Thank you. You know, I, well, I mentioned also, I mentioned in the intro that you work to eliminate the achievement gap in a year. Could you talk a little bit more about what the achievement gap is and what's the importance of the year? So districts across the nation are dealing with an achievement gap, an academic achievement gap. And so I pull my studies from the national, um, like it's called the NAEP data. It's a national um progress. Uh, it's it's where districts all have students take tests, fourth grade test, eighth grade test. And from these tests, you're able to see the proficiency rate or how, how much students are achieving. And if students are achieving the set amount that they're supposed to achieve within a year, all students are supposed to be proficient or to achieve at least about 70%, 70% C, meaning you passed, you understood at least 70% of the content within the year. So you're good, you're proficient. But if students aren't meeting that goal, then they're not proficient, which is affecting school grades. It's affecting graduation rates. It's, it's affecting um, just the, the, the trajectory of our nation and how fast we're moving. So when you're looking at the NAEP data, I was able to compile uh, the results from the NAEP data looking at Florida in particular because I'm here and I, I talked to some people in the Department of Education, one of my friends. Um, I, I spoke with them and I said, so how long is it going to take projected for us to close the achievement gap between, say, Black students and white students or African-American, Caucasian students, whatever. And so when we looked at the numbers, they came back and said it would take us the year 2241 uh, to close it in English. And then it would take the year 22, I think it's 2237 at the time to close in a math, which at that time, when we took the data, it was pre-COVID or pre-pandemic, and it was the year 2019. And when you did the numbers, that meant that it would take us 217 years to close the achievement gap in math between Black students and white students. That's a problem. And the reason why that's a problem is because we're not going to see it close in our lifetime. We're not going to see it close in our children's lifetime or in our grandchildren's lifetime. And when you look at those numbers, you're talking over 200 years. It's that means the gap is going to take about as long as our nation has been established to be closed. And so because I know there's a problem, we have to get in the trenches and we have to help teachers. And we have to help students. We can no longer sit on the sidelines and say, oh, gosh, it's just oh, that's overwhelming. But oh, well, no, we've got to put a plan together to see what can we do to shrink that gap? What can we do in our time to shrink it in our day? So that is why I like to go in the trenches and help district leaders, principals, superintendents to figure out what is it going to take for them to close it for their district this year to raise the numbers, to get as many students to be proficient, performing at 70% or higher that we can't, you know, as much as possible. Now, some, some districts I've worked with, it's, it's been, um, 
it's been wonderful in other districts. It's definitely a work in progress. It's going to take more than a year. So when I say within a year's time, I say that because it's a sense of urgency and I want to see what we can do to turn it around within that year. Why would you, you know, settle? Like, for instance, I worked in a wonderful district where when I came to the district, they had me on as a math coach and they said, India, they said our numbers right now, our kids are passing at 27% proficiency, which means only 27% of the kids were getting the math. And they said, we need a turnaround or else the state will close our school down, period. We had the state coming in, investigating. They were watching our, our teaching. They were um, listening to our conversations. They were helping us put together plans. At the end of that year, with all of the resources that I was able to offer with developing grit, implementing equitable practices, helping to build the motivation and the confidence level of students and developing and strengthening their math identities, we went from 27% to 77% in a year. Boom. We did it. The school didn't close. The school stayed open. The next year, we did it again. Boom. Right. Then the community started to really pour in funds and support to where they started to build in a magnet school. And now the school is starting to win like state championships in their football team and their, you know, in their appropriate division graduation rates went from like 60 something percent to like 96%. We turned it around. And that's what I am doing with leaders across this nation, working in various areas, whether it's Massachusetts, LA, working in Atlanta, wherever, to make sure that we can close this achievement gap and do what we can to close it as much as possible within a year. Wow. <laughs> it sounds like the movie <laughs> leaned on me. <laughs> <laughs> you like Joe Clark out here. <laughs> somebody's got to do it. You know, it's, somebody's got to agitate. Somebody's got to do it. I mean, we just celebrated, you know, Dr. King and um, his wonderful sacrifice and his contributions. And it would be, I would be remiss to not help carry that torch. And I would be remiss to not remember what, you know, my ancestors went through, the struggle they went through so that we would have opportunity. And I think, you know, when I wake up, sometimes it's like, what am I going to do with the opportunity I've been afforded today? What am I going to do with my purpose to show those that have gone before me that I'm thankful and to show the almighty God that I'm thankful for him putting me on this earth to fulfill this purpose? Nice. I also saw that you did a, a TEDx talk. So what was the, 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 the talk about and what do you hope people take away from it? Yes. Um, the TEDx talk, you can find it online. It's called The Power of Grit. The Power of Grit. And my name's India. And so the purpose of that talk is to let you know that the key determinant factor of success of students, of anyone, is grit. That if you are going through a low phase in life, if you have enough grit, you can overcome anything. You can make it through. If you have grit, grit will help you, help you to build your resilience. It will help you to have enough passion to go on and to obtain your life goals, to live out your dreams. So I talk about Dr. Angela Duckworth, who is a rock star in grit, and she defined grit as having passion and perseverance to obtain long-term goals. So I reference her, but I also reference my research that I did at the University of Florida when I researched first-generation at-risk students who had a full-ride scholarship. Many of the students dropped out, but when I talked to the students that did not drop out, I said, why did you not drop out of school when you had everything going against you? Like I had one girl... Her mom, her mom was dying of cancer. All three of her roommates dropped out. And I said, why did you not drop out? Everybody else did. She said it was my inner drive. It was grit. And so I said, you know what? We need more grit in schools because students, it's like they feel like they're so overwhelmed. 
with all of the testing and everything. And they're like, oh, whatever, I don't care. So I said, well, what we need is we need to establish grit in schools. We need a gritty culture, a gritty mindset. We need students to feel like they own it, that they belong, like they can achieve. We need teachers to not burn out and to have grit to get through those low times. We need administrators to not feel overwhelmed and to quit the profession and go into something else or superintendents to quit their professions. We need grit so that people will remain and people will thrive as they remain. And so I came up with an acronym for it. It's called Great Resilience in Time. Great Resilience in Time. Grit. Oh, I like that. That's really that's that's really cool. You know, when when you were talking about the the issues of of students and and the the twenty seven percent proficiency in math, yes. it made me remember back when I was a university student. A few of us engineering students, we decided we were going to run this weekend to math tutoring program, and we nice. we held it in one of the one of the rooms in the in the main libraries on campus, and. I remember this, this. It's like this is over twenty years ago at this point, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. My father met some woman at a supermarket, and he was telling her about the tutoring program. And she was saying, because I guess she was telling him how her son was having difficulty in math. And he, so my father told her about the program. He said they they meet on on sun, on, on Saturday afternoons down at the library on, on on campus. And she said, well, well, actually, he can't attend then because he has baseball practice. I just remember thinking, even you know, twenty plus years later. I mean, what's more important, getting those grades up in in math or or baseball practice? And so it, just, it also makes me think about the importance of parents in in kids developing that grit. So I mean, the work that you do, it, it sounds like it's with the with with students, with with the principals, with the teachers. But where do the parents fall into the equation? Definitely, parents. We need parental involvement like never before because parents are the advocate for the students and parents can build a sense of agency. Parents can really cultivate grit more than anybody because they can provide various rewards and incentives uh, that teachers and principals can't. For instance, with my children, if they don't get their grades to a certain amount, they won't have a phone. And they know like that phone is like a lifeline. So they're going to do whatever they can because they know mama is going to take that phone. If not, because I have the ability to motivate them. I have the ability as a parent to help mold them by what I teach and train them on my daily principles and how we live life, how they see life and how they, you know, develop their grit. I talk with my children all the time about grit uh, to where they're probably annoyed. <laughs> they will not be left off the hook. They will be successful. Um, and so I've helped to kind of cultivate a plan for them and a mindset, a gritty mindset. That's where parents come and play, where they're able to say, you know, okay, you might not know how you're going to use this math or you might not know how you're going to use this, you know, poetic passage that you're reading in your English class, but it's those skill sets that you're going to need when you're building your own business or when you're working at that Fortune 500 company or you're working in the hospital and you're trying to help a patient to, to survive. You're going to need to develop a gritty mindset and those, those skills or the specific skills that the child is working on in that particular curriculum, they're going to need to harness, you know, in those skills and develop those skills. And so 
they're going to need grit. Parents can really motivate students through grit also by their positive feedback and by, you know, eliminating those negative thoughts that students have. Like when they're working on homework and they're struggling and they're going through productive struggle in a math class, then parents can say, you know what, you've got this. I know it seems tough, but you've got this. You'll overcome that anxiety. You'll overcome that fear. I know you're the first one to do it, but I believe in you and I, I've got you 100%. When parents join in with the teachers and staff and not fight against them, but join in with them. And they're all speaking the same language. They're all cheering for that child. That is what's really going to help children. This is the detriment um, that I think of, of parenting, the, the part that we have to be careful about. When we disagree with an educator, say a math teacher, and parents are like, oh, well, I was bad at math too. So, you know, no big deal. Well, you have just given that, given that child permission to fail because of your experience instead of saying you know I struggled in math but I know you've got what it takes and you're not a quitter so I think that you're going to be just fine in this see what I mean different story I mean it's the same story yeah you were bad in math but that doesn't mean that you have to give your child a ticket to fail or to 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 not even really try not even put any effort in a math class so that's where I think parents are really key decision makers and they're really um the advocate for students when it comes down to developing grit and and to establishing their work ethic right now so that when they're successful citizens in society, they will take in all that their parents have given them and they, they've molded into something great. Wow. What a foolish thing to say. <laughs> I mean, she does, I mean the, the, the rest of the family is supposed to be bad in math. Like for forever. Oh, you'd be amazed how many. Um, <laughs> you would be amazed. Those that are listening to the podcast, I'm sure they'll say, "Oh yeah, I had a parent or uncle or relative say, yeah, I was horrible at math, so don't worry about it. Don't. It's no big deal." People say it. Yeah, people say it quite often. Um, yeah, I was kind of shocked by it until I became a teacher and I, I heard it uh, quite often. <laughs> wow. So I, I met. I also mentioned in the intro that you're a speaker. But when it comes to speaking, is that something you've always been good at? And if not, what'd you do to get better at it? Every time I speak, I get butterflies. And um, the first time I was offered, one of the first times I was offered a microphone to speak was after I had graduated from the homeless shelter. Everyone wanted to find out who I was in Sarasota County because they were like, who the heck is this girl that just graduated with 18 scholarships, has a 4.25 GPA, Bill Gates is paying her way. Uh, she's majoring in math and she's homeless. And she was homeless for two years. That doesn't make sense. How does she do it? So everybody wanted to hear. So the first time I remember speaking was, I was staying at a YMCA shelter, shout out to the YMCA. And I remembered, um, they just gave me a mic and they said, we just need you to tell your story. And so I was like, okay, just, just talk, that's it. And I remember just talking um, and it was no big deal. Like I had some butterflies, but I was just honest. And then it, there was more of a demand and it became a gift. And, you know, scripture says that a gift will make room for itself. Your gift will make room for itself. And I feel like that's what's happened. People have heard me speak and then it's like word of mouth. You need to get India to come in and speak to your students. You need to get India to come in and speak to your teachers. I've had teachers come to me after I've spoken at conferences for an hour long or whatever with tears in their eyes. Like, oh my God, oh my God. I've had teachers hug me. I've had teachers sign me up for keynotes for their conferences in their state. I've had principals tell me, oh my gosh, like right now I need you to speak to my district. Like, you know, and I think that when I first started, I was, I was just willing. Um, there was no pressure. 
And every time I speak, like I used to be nervous, like, oh my God, what are they going to think? Oh my God, I'm going to say something wrong. And believe it or not, I, I don't, I don't do well with scripted speeches. I speak from the heart. And I found that that is my gift because you can't make it up. It's me. And, and when you do scripted speeches, you can skip something, you can run. And I know you want to cover all your bullet points. I get that. But there's nothing better than just hearing someone speak from the heart, genuine, heartfelt speech that they're keeping it real and they're really helping you with nuggets. And so I do my research, I prepare. And yeah, I have research, you know, when I'm doing my presentations, but because I speak from my heart and I'm giving you like just raw, real experience and I'm giving you me, it, it's priceless. So that's been my experience on the hundreds of stages that I've been privileged to speak on. Wow, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. I mean, when it comes to the the presentations do you, that you do, I mean, you you mentioned that you get butterflies every now and then. What do you do to deal with those butterflies? So before I speak, I always get butterflies, um, and sometimes I walk around. Um, if people have seen me speak, they might know. They might notice that I might walk around like either backstage or, or like to the side, like of the wall, or I might like exit out, like go get a drink of water. And I'm like calming myself and I'm praying and I'm just saying, listen, these people are rooting for you. They want you here. This is why you're here. There's no need to be nervous. You've got this. And I kind of give myself that positive pump, that self-talk. And then I say, you've done this before. You've spoken for thousands before. Like there's just no big deal. You know, this is only 600 or this is like, I try to like, you know, make it to where I'm not like, sweating bullet um you know and then of course i think of other times like when i was a um, saxophonist at the university of florida i played in the marching band well in the audience on the field there's ninety-two thousand people ninety thousand at least and i played for them for years so if i was able to handle that then i could handle a thousand easy so i try to tell myself like you've got this and they hired you for a reason you don't need to be afraid give them what they need help them and then Pass the baton to the next person. So that's what I try to do. To yeah, that's a, that's a that's a good that's a good idea. To, the, especially the the positive self talk. I mean, if you tell yourself you suck, you likely will. <laughs> so <laughs> tell, tell yourself right. you're going to do great. So yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. So for the people who are listening or watching this conversation, Doctor White, and they really want to get better at giving presentations or public speaking generally, what would your number one tip for them be? I'm going to answer this carefully. Believe in yourself. You're on that stage for a reason. You were selected for a reason. Don't self-doubt. Be prepared, yes. Like, do your work. Like, do your research. But guess what? What if, you're, what if you prepared a presentation and the power goes out? What else are you going to say? You have 30 minutes left to speak. What do you got? So you've got to put yourself in a situation where when you've done the troubleshooting and say something crazy is going to happen during your presentation, that you can still deliver on that content. So the number one thing is, yes, be confident, but also be prepared. Because if something happened, I've had presentation where I thought, listen, I thought I was supposed to speak for an hour and a half. I was only supposed to speak. 15 minutes so I had to take an hour and a half and crunch it into 15 minutes with slides with research so it became like a race like 
I'm flipping through slides every two, three seconds to get through all the content. And I'm literally like, okay, I'm reading the slides. I'm okay. On this bullet, this is the main idea. Okay. On this bullet, this is the main concept. On this bullet, this is the main idea. This is the main thing they need to know on that bullet. This is the main, main thing they need to know on that slide. We've got to get to a place where if somebody wants you, realize they hired you because they want you. Yeah, your content's probably awesome. They want you. Give them what they want. I think of James Brown. He was the original. James Brown was amazing. And he didn't have like pre-prepared slides and all that. He got on that microphone and he sang with his heart. And yeah, he messed up, but he performed. He gave them what they wanted and he was the hardest working man in show business. And he was amazing that we can still jam to his music today. He was ahead of his time because he got it. They want me. And that's the thing is realize they want you. So don't be hard on yourself. Go out, make it happen. Rock it out. You've got this. Even if you forget your notes, tell your story, tell your story, tell the story that will help the people. Wonderful. This has been a great conversation, Dr. White. Thank you so much for being a guest. And this marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. You can find me at teachthegeek.com. You know, oh, one other question I wanted to ask you. How can people get in touch with you? Sure. They can email me at india.white.123 at gmail.com. They can visit my website for a free uh, education strategy consultation or free consultation on speaking. My website is www.india-white.com. Again, www.india-white.com. And then I'll give you two of my social media handles. Twitter is Indie Speak and Teach. That's I-N-D-I, the word speak, the letter N, and the word teach all together. So Indie Speak and Teach. And my LinkedIn handle is The India White. The India White. Excellent. Well, everyone, I, I guess I just started this again. This marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And if you want to know more about that, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Dr. White. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Take care. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. We're on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.